following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 749 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, it's election night in California. <laughs> election night. I was getting ready to do it in a very, very bassy, like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday announcement, and you beat me to it. Well, the question is, should Governor Newsom be recalled? The answer is no. The answer Definitively is no. no, even though I'm not a giant. I've become more of a fan. You you read some things the other day from Vox or some 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 outlet. Ezra Klein that, in the New York Times that like list. Oh yeah, he's not with Vox anymore. The the the, the New York Times of of some a lot of accomplishments. Some things that that are really progressive and good that he has gotten done. Mm-hmm. But for me, it really sticks with me the whole. Setting all these COVID restrictions that are sensible and reasonable and then going against them and going out to a large dinner at the French Laundry. Hypocrisy is something that just it's it's untenable for me, for people in leadership. And it bothers me a lot. It's not worth kicking him out. Mm -hmm. But I have those stats that you read me really softened my opinion about, oh, maybe he is getting some good shit done. And I can overlook the fact that he's a hypocritical dumb fuck. Well, what I would say is that it's not worth, it's just not worth kicking him out. Not only that point, but it's also not worth punishing all of the vulnerable populations that could be put at risk of someone else being put into that position, including like Larry Elder, who we talked about on the previous show. And we'll talk about today again, because he is the front runner. He's actually, his headquarters is set up in Costa Mesa, which is where we used to live. Yeah, yeah. And right now, 59% of the estimated vote totals are in, and Gavin Newsom is doing pretty well. Yeah, so, it's almost 70-30. That is very good to see. Very yeah, good to see. California has a very weird system. We didn't specifically talk about it last time, but the ballot comes, it's one page ballot, and there's a yes or a no. Should On the question of whether he should be recalled, yep. yes or no. Both Brittany and I voted no. But then there's another section, which is, you can pick a candidate uh, to replace if indeed it does become yes. And there's, I don't know the number, but it's dozens of candidates. Yes, a lot. So technically, Larry Elder could get elected with a minuscule percentage and be governor of the state of California with not even 50% of the vote, not even near 50% of the vote. Yeah, well, I just I realized I said Larry Elder was the front runner, and I actually don't know if that's true. It is true. It is true. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. because they just showed Riverside County on CNN on the the maps, and Riverside County looked like John Cox was leading, and John Cox ran for governor last time. Well, that's what they've been doing is showing. See, twenty eighteen. See what it says. Oh, they're showing. Okay, what happened last when Gavin Newsom got elected? I see. Okay. When it was only two dudes on the on the ticket. I wasn't being very perceptive. On the, on the ballot. So, it, listen, we're facing um, 
a very precarious election here in California. And uh, as we like to say, and as we often do, two things can be true at the same time. Maybe Gavin Newsom didn't do the greatest job. Maybe he did. But uh, it is an untenable situation to put Larry Elder in the governor's mansion because he is not just out of step with uh, California. He's out of step with the nation and the culture and modernity. He holds some pernicious, bizarre beliefs about wouldn't have voted for the Civil Rights Act and, like we talked about last time, arguing for reparations for slaveholders. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. mean, just... Goddamn. Uh, ridiculous stuff. Yeah. The other part of this, and we're going to get to a lot of Larry Elder stuff and a lot of the recall stuff a little later, but is the fact that if he were to win, it doesn't look like he's going to, but if he were to win, California would, would ultimately be another Florida or Texas. Hmm. With COVID raging all across the country, he is dedicated to the proposition of... Uh, banning mask mandates, banning vaccine mandates, and it would drag us back when the death toll in America is rapidly approaching 700,000 Americans dead, Mm -hmm. a number that should chill every single person listening. That that is, we're, we're nearing a million people unnecessarily dying because so many Americans, too many Americans don't care enough about their neighbors and even their loved ones to do the right thing and just wear a mask and get vaccinated to stop this thing. Well, and things are especially bad in our home state of Idaho, particularly in northern Idaho, where they have implemented the crisis standards of care um, in hospitals and ICUs are filled and people are having to go to Washington in order to get help and utilize resources in the neighboring state. And it's been a very exhausting and frustrating thing to deal with people in my life that I know who have people in their families who won't even get vaccinated to protect their own children in the midst of living in this environment where you can't go and get an ICU bed. Yeah, terrible. I, it's, it's been very shocking to me to witness. Before we get into all of this, though, um, let's get to some phone calls and some emails from the listeners. I want to drop the phone number before we do. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a regular email or a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. And on the topic of COVID, we have some very sad news from a longtime listener of the show. Hey, this is Michael from North Bend, and uh, I just wanted to share with you guys, because I feel like your family, that um, my mom passed away today from COVID-19. She was vaccinated, 69 years old. (sighs) Very sad. Our, Our hearts go out to you, Michael, and your family. Um. COVID has certainly touched my family. Many, many, many members of my extended family have gotten um, Mm COVID-19. None that I know of. I'm not in super close connection with my family, but none that I know of have died. And uh, I just, it is an unimaginable thing to have to face. And uh, we're thinking about you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, there's not a lot you can say. Um, we appreciate you calling and please keep us in the loop on how you're doing and how things are going for you. If you need anything, please reach out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great point. If, if you do need something, do reach out. I'm sure that the community of listeners would love to to support you in any way that we are able to do so. So mm-hmm. uh, again, we're uh, we're thinking about you. Hey guys, it's Chase Spinnacle-Munch. <laughs> I took, decided to take a break from listening to the show and basically anything political because it was just getting, really getting to me. And I took a break. I'm back. And the good thing is <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be returning back to doing like, the, the Patreon stuff, but it has been a wild few months here in Virginia. The biggest thing that ha- that's happened recently is the Confederate Lee, Confederate Robert Lee, Lee statue has been taken down, much to the anger of some people. I'm not one of those people, thankfully. And sometime later, I think next week, I'm getting the vac- vaccination. And the reason why it's taken so long for me to get it is I promised my mom, I said, hey, I'm going to wait until the F- FDA approves the vaccine because... And the reason why I did that is because she was one of those people, she's, and she still is one of those people that instead of me getting the vaccine, she wants me to get hydrochloroquine or the intermittent, which I don't want to do. It sucks. And my entire family is like, oh, you should take hydrochloroquine or the horse aroma. Like, and I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. So I decided, as everything's getting back to normal for me, basically, I'm going to go back to normal here and sponsor is just helping the show again. I know I've been really absent on the group and everything went out, but I just want to announce that, hey, I'm now listening to the show. You guys better ship up there. And hope you guys have a fantastic rest of the week. Reek, it was gracious, I'm not talking correctly. Have a great day. Hope to talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Well, so good to hear from Chase. Absolutely. Chase, a longtime listener, longtime supporter of the show. You will, I mean, other than jokingly, you will never get shit. Nobody will get shit for taking a break from the show or no, politics. No, 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 no. Listen, there are times where we desperately need a break from the show because of politics. Yeah. And uh, it is, uh, I mean, I think it's just, uh, it's good for mental health. Absolutely. What is it? Self-care. Self-care. Self-care to not listen to Jesse D and Brittany P. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Sometimes. And good for you, Chase, for getting the vaccine. I, I I think that they're I think I've softened a little bit on it, Ivermectin? It, no, no, I have not. <laughs> um that if someone waited until until uh the full approval of the FDA, mm-hmm. that's not the choice we made. Mm-hmm. But I you know, I could see that being I mean, I don't quite understand it. Yeah. But as long as as you've chosen to do so and you're going to get the vaccine, you're going to protect your family and your neighbors. Hopefully you're still continuing to wear a mask with Delta variant and the MU variant mm-hmm. on the loose. Um, just take care of people. Yeah. That's ultimately all we ask. Well, and I feel like I'm radical the other way. Like, I don't even know what paperwork it was they were giving me. I just signed it. I'm not even going to read it. I don't care. Just it give it to me. It was early, too. Yeah. I mean, I well, I wanted the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were February. I don't remember now, but I, I felt so relieved afterward. And I remember there was a discussion after I got it where someone was asking me, well, isn't it not approved? And I was like, I don't. 
give a shit. I just wanted right. the thing. So. Well, already millions of people had already gotten it, so you knew it wasn't going to turn us into Gen Z or whatever the... What's the zombie movie with Brad Pitt? Um, Generation... I think it's something Z, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> uh, one thing that we're also going to do is get the, the flu shot. And I was yes. reading that it's good to um, get it. October is when we're doing like it, Like October. Right? Yeah, I don't know why I read that that was a good time. But I'm planning on getting it like the first week of October. So remember that your flu shots are still important to get as well. And be sure that you are getting those. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, Chase, thanks for the call. We appreciate it very much. I think we've got an email that we will get to momentarily while I stall in order that Brittany is able to find it on her phone and then regale the audience with the beauty of an email from a listener. Well, we got a message on Patreon from Billy M. And Billy says, So glad you guest hosted for David Pakman, or I probably would have never even known about your show. Keep up the good work. Hope the money helps you guys out even just a little. Because Billy became a Patreon supporter. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And thank you to Billy. Yeah, thank you, Billy. Now, we also got an email from Cooper. Cooper says, Dear Jesse and Brittany, I just wanted to thank you for the fascinating interview with Dr. Francis. As someone who has fought with depression for decades, I found the interview to be the most informative discussion on the state of mental health services I've ever had the pleasure to hear. I can see why Brittany is so taken with Dr. Francis and his work. Thank you for doing things like this. It means a lot to know there's someone with actual experience and gravitas who continues to fight for people who need a new approach to dealing with mental illness. The world could use more people like him. Love the podcast. Brittany's the best part. Sincerely, Cooper. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. part. The, the, the world could, as the clip skips and then I skip, uh, <laughs> the world could use a lot more of Alan Francis. Yes, absolutely. Great interview. If you haven't checked out the last episode, 748, it's just a conversation with Alan Fran mainly with Alan Francis and Brittany Page. And then I chime in every once in a while. But um, it's important, a lot of the stuff that was talked about. It's not really even politics. The very beginning of it is. But after that, it's it's you know about mental health and and that was intentional because the first two times we had uh, Dr. Francis on, he was promoting his book about Trump. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one was before the book was published, but he had all these ideas about Trump and was going on CNN talking about Trump. And then the second one was when he finally released the book and came on to talk about it. And I wanted to have him on because he's one of my heroes in the field of psychology. <laughs> and he... That's my superhero sound. I just didn't want to talk about... Trump with him. I yeah, wanted yeah. to talk about him and the field. Look, and we didn't want to cover old ground. Old ground, but also whatever. I want this opportunity. I just wanted to like talk to him. It's an excuse to like talk to him about yeah, his yeah, life. Yeah. You know, Who, he's a giant in your field. Yeah, and you know, since I can't just like call him up on the phone and ask how he's doing, I have to use the podcast as an excuse. Well, we, what we should do is like <laughs> stage a fake interview, yeah. and then you'll just talk to him. Yeah. Next time. Next time. He's like, wow, these are weird segues. This doesn't even sound like they're recording right now. Okay. This is another email. Uh, hey, guys. My name is this Julie. Is just, this just in. I'm apologizing to Julie. CNN projection. Governor Gavin Newsom defeats recall. Woo! <laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing. No, super, super happy about this. Was expecting it. I'm relieved to hear the news for yeah, sure. For sure. Okay, back to Julie. My name is Julie. I live in San Antonio, though I'm originally from Colorado. I moved to this state four years ago, and living in Texas has definitely been a tough adjustment as the people down here are, well, Texans. <laughs> which depending on the subject at hand can be good or a bad thing. I came to your podcast after watching you on YouTube. How I found you on YouTube was after you filled in for David Pakman. I love your take on things and how you don't hold back. David is entirely too nice sometimes. So much of what is happening in our country right now not only deserves but demands the type of visceral reaction you are compelled to deliver in spectacular fashion. I must say I do prefer the podcast. A lot of that is my personal preference for podcasts, but also the two of you bouncing off each other is a great dynamic. You're the first current event podcast I've found where I'm eager to go back to listen to the entirety of the previous episodes. <laughs> oh, boy. That is anxiety-inducing uh, anxiety for Brittany Page, to say the least. I've backtracked to about May of this year, then decided to go back to the earliest episode available on Apple Podcasts and have been working my way back to current episodes. It's been really interesting listening to 2020 unfold in hindsight with the two of you. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. Keep up the great work. You're definitely my new favorite podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. You cannot know how deeply I appreciate you two doing what you do exactly the way you do it. You're giving me a lovely, logical place to rest in while being surrounded by anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. What a beautiful email. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you very much. We appreciate the sentiment. And you know what? I, I like that somebody's liking the, the podcast more than the, the goddamn YouTube. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because this is, I mean, this is our... Our baby. This is what we started with on, on March 11th, 2014. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to, to, to have it be appreciated. Yeah, for sure. And not just hate listened to. Yes. <laughs> so we got a, an email here from Heather K. Dear Jesse and Brittany, my name is Heather. I'm 47 years old. I'm so happy with the show that you produce, and please let me tell you why. My husband, Leland, in the 15 years we were together, never shied away from a tough question. Always had the patience to answer any questions. He would never call any questions stupid, and if you had any trouble understanding the answer, he would explain it to you until you understood, especially me. I was never encouraged to speak my mind or ask questions at any time during my childhood. My parents never never agreed on anything. Religion, politics, abortion, guns. Don't get me started on religion. They really fucked me up religiously. But um dumb. Hopefully I'm doing that correctly. Yeah, it's like the drums. But um bum. Politically, I was so naive. Here, this is not drums, but oh wait, here's drums. Here's here's kind of an instrument. That's not the same. <laughs> Politically, I was so naive for so long. Abortion. Had to have one. And guns. I kind of like them. Now, my first serious boyfriend at 16 years old, he told me I was a Republican because I liked guns and the Democrats were going to take them away. <laughs> now, I have to say really fast, my husband was an avid gun collector and as liberal as they come. And I don't remember one president in history ever taking anyone's guns away ever. And my crazy little Catholic brain didn't believe in abortion. Little did he know that I had to have one a couple years prior, and that's a long, sad story that no one wants to hear. 
He also told me that no woman would ever be a president because women are too hormonal and they can just <laughs> wow. push the button and wham, we are in a nuclear war. So I questioned him, weren't all wars started by men? So began my political questioning. Fast forward 15 years when I met Leland, he definitely had a lot of deprogramming on his plate when it came to me, but he was never short with me, told me I was wrong or made me feel stupid in any way. In fact, I'm quite educated, but never truly grasped who I was at my core. He definitely had a lot of practice answering questions throughout his 39 years of being a primary school educator armed with his master's in education. Thankfully for me, I was blessed with such a charming, patient, and lighthearted man. I lost him last year. And here's where you come in, Jesse. He turned me on to David Pakman, and I liked watching David. I still do very much. Had he not gone on vacation, I would have never met you. You remind me of my husband, and he would have definitely gotten a kick out of you. He would have loved you. Passionate, warm, a knack for conversation, very well educated, and a talent for explaining things to people like me who lost their sounding board way too soon and still filled with so many questions. I look forward to your videos every day, and I wanted to thank you for what you and your wife do and putting it out there. You have balls, and I love it. Them. Question mark. LOL. <laughs> Respectfully and graciously, Heather. Well, Heather, you're, you're getting me a little misty. Um, I'm sorry for the loss of your, of your, your husband, mm-hmm. and I'm honored to be compared to him. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> I am certainly not one who possesses um, boundless and endless patience for explaining things. In fact, I <laughs> I, I get very frustrated very often. Um, but I definitely appreciate the sentiment. Welcome to the family. We are we're happy to have you mm-hmm. as listeners to the show. And um, you know another another um, listener mm-hmm. by way of uh, my substitution for David Pakman, which is great. Yep, for sure. All right. Uh, if you, too, would like to sound off, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters. Prepare yourself for a list. Nick P. Nick P. Laura B. Laura B. William J. William J. Gary N. Gary N. Rusted Ducks Design. Rusted Ducks Design. Um. <laughs> I'm following along here too, so let's see. Uh, Cyan Bend. Cyan Bend. <laughs> Tim A. Tim A. Crystal R. Crystal R. Barbara M. Barbara M. David H. David H. Danny G. Danny G. Sherry P. Sherry P. Grim Rubik's. Grim Rubik's. Michael L. Michael L. Shelly H. Shelly H. Runkster. Runkster. John B. John B. Billy M. Billy M. Heather DK. 
Heather D hyphen K. That was uh, the Heather that we read the email from. Unbelievable. Thank you, Heather, so much for your Patreon support. It is much, much, much appreciated. Do you want to take the next one? Dottie D. Ma D. D. I am. I'm worse than you at this. Okay. <laughs> David S. David S. Mr. D. Mr. D. Christopher B. Christopher B. Billy C. Billy C. Billy B. Billy B. Okay. Now. Is that all? Well, now we need to uh, list the Patreon supporters who have increased their pledge. I don't know how you keep this organized. So shout out to HJK. HJK. HJK has been a longtime listener, longtime supporter of the show. So shout out to HJK. Thank you so much for your support. And also to Kitwana T. Kitwana T. Thank you so very much for more than doubling your pledge on Patreon. (laughs) So great. As I cough like a big fat professional into the mic. So thank you so very much, you guys. We really appreciate it. We want to remind you that we are doing the Thanksgiving episode this year. So for those of you who are new to the show and do not know what we're talking about, every year, with the exception of last year, last year was the only year that we didn't do it, we have done a Thanksgiving episode, which is a family-friendly episode where we cover only positive news, only good news, happy, uplifting stories. Profanity-free. It's profanity-free. The, the goal being that this is something you can put on while you're cooking Thanksgiving dinner with your family. You can listen to it together. So it's a happy, uplifting news that we talk about. It's profanity-free. And we have the listeners call in or send in a voice memo describing the things that they are thankful for for that year. You can find these episodes by searching on YouTube. Jesse uploaded two years worth, I think, on his YouTube channel. Yeah, just search, search um, Dollamore Thanksgiving and they'll show up. Right. Or you can search on the website at dollamore.com to get an idea of what people do because I know you're thinking, like, you know, what what would I say? What would that look like? Well, you can listen to the old episodes to see. People will talk about meaningful experiences that they had during the year that kind of gave them a reminder of things to be grateful for and things to be aware of. So it's always really moving. We cry every single time, but good, happy tears. And so we invite you to please participate in that with us. If you are wanting to send that in, I mean, go ahead. It's it's early. But if you put Thanksgiving in the subject line, yes. we'll go ahead and move it into a folder so we can start planning for that show. So send a voice memo. I think you want them around two minutes, not over two minutes yeah, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, minute and a half, two minutes each submission because we compile them. I put music over it. It really is. It turns out to be pretty touching and emotional and beautiful. And if, you know, if somebody, I don't want to say drones on, but if you go on for three minutes, it, it just, it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. So try to keep them brief. Uh, don't say who you are. Don't say how much you appreciate the show. All of that will be edited out. Mm-hmm. We just want to hear the things for which you are thankful this year. Yeah. So I doubt it at dollamore.com or 657-464-7609. Absolutely. We love you guys. We really appreciate you very, very much. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So now that we already know that uh, the, the race has been projected as a win for Gavin Newsom, 
there's a couple clips here that we're not going to play. But one of the clips we are going to play is the fact that even before today, even before the election, um, the polls had closed. Larry, Larry Elder was signaling that he was not going to accept the results of the election. In fact, they, post, they, they posted a website where they were calling into question the results before we even knew what the results were. Taking a pay, page out of Donald Trump's own playbook, remember, if you will, this moment from before the election in the White House press briefing room when Brian Karam, the Playboy uh, reporter, was asking Donald Trump the question of whether he would commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Win, lose, or draw in this election, will you commit here today for a peaceful transferal of power after the election? And there has been rioting in Louisville, there's been rioting in many cities across this country, red and your so-called red and blue states. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer Pearl of power after the election. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit uh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it. And you know who knows it better than anybody else? The Democrats know it better than anybody else. Go ahead. Remember that moment. Because now, well, one, it's it's nice to reflect on that. I mean, it's not nice to reflect on it, but it's it's nice in, in hindsight. Now that we, we, we know what took place, we witnessed January 6th and the insurrection. All of this was set up by Donald Trump. And Republicans aren't learning the lesson of the violence that can come based on Sending people into a frenzy, believing conspiracy theories and lies. Mm -hmm. And Larry Elder, who was asked just yesterday by an MSNBC reporter the same question, will not, did not, refuse to commit to accepting the results of a free and fair election. Again, whether or not you win or lose, will you accept the results of the election tomorrow? I think we all ought to be looking at election integrity, no matter whether you're a Democrat, an independent, or a Republican. Let's all make sure that the election is a fair election. So let's all work together, no matter what the results are, to make sure that the results are, are valid and legitimate, and everybody who voted should have voted. Let's all do that together. Is that a commitment to accept the let's, results let's, of the election all, let's, tomorrow? Let's all do that together. Let's all work together uh, on both sides of the aisle to make sure that the election is a fair election. Terrible non-answer. All it does is fuel the flame of conspiracy while painting uh, a veneer of, oh, well, he's just asking for uh, election security, that we all should be focused on that. Everyone is focused on election security because we have secure elections. These are ridiculous red herrings that Republicans use to stir up the passions of their base. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we're in a situation now where he's not going to be governor and he can go back to his dopey fucking talk show uh, fomenting um, idiot ideas and and giving people like Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, Stephen Miller, Jeff Sessions is Stephen Miller, um, a platform to spew their xenophobia and racism on the air. 
Well, I, this is like a really poor attempt at gaslighting because he's not even like waiting until the election yeah, to yeah, start yeah. talking about election fraud. I mean, like you kind of need to wait. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were even on the website that they published. They were asking for people to sign the petition for a formal investigation into the election results. Right. They were asking supporters to fill out an online form to report alleged fraud, noting that, quote, statistical analyses used to detect fraud in elections held in third world nations such as Russia, Venezuela and Iran have detected fraud in California, resulting in Governor Gavin Newsom being reinstated as governor. So this was before the elect. I mean, this was yesterday. Right. It just lies. They're liars. So he's already announcing that, like, the election had been called and he had been reinstated stated and there was I mean what are you yeah, doing yeah, yeah. what are you talking about unbelievable I mean it's it is Donald Trump level bullshit but this is the this is the scary thing I mean this is the threat to democracy is that now this is the tactic this is a legitimate tactic for Republicans yeah yeah, yeah. to cast doubt on the integrity of our elections and it really is the go-to now I saw Tommy Lahren Tommy Lahren was bringing it up how are yeah, they yeah, yeah. how is Gavin Newsom gonna win unless there's election fraud yeah which is and I've talked about this a couple times briefly in YouTube videos, but it, it, think about the state of California. And is is Larry Elder such a popular juggernaut that his opinions about reparations for slave owners and not voting for the Civil Rights Act and and all of the, having a zero minimum wage is that in step with California? Does he think that? Oh yeah, people are so sick. Of Kimberly Kimberly Guilfoyle's ex husband Gavin Newsom that they want to go for Larry Elder. I mean, it's just it's bananas. Well, did you see Donald Trump's statement uh, sent from his Save America PAC on Monday? No, no. Does anybody really believe the California recall election isn't rigged? Millions and millions of mail-in ballots will make this just another giant election scam. No different, but less blatant than the 2020 presidential election scam. No different, but less blatant, meaning... I'm the real victim. Right. <laughs> I'm way more of a victim than Larry Elder's going to be. Oh, what a sad, sad guy. You're right. What a fuckhole. So, uh, speaking of fuckholes and speaking of Donald Trump, uh, 9-11 was the other day, three days ago. It's a hell of a way to start a sentence. The 20th. The 20th anniversary of 9-11. That's yeah. right. And it is, this week has been a lot of Donald Trump clips, like, Watching that one where he's not committing to a peaceful transfer of power, all of this. I've seen a bunch, and it's just like, man, how did this go on for four years? And how did people not get disillusioned by him and the same old bullshit and talking points? Mm-hmm. Well, he he was meeting with a group of first responders on 9-11, and this is a very brief clip, but it really brings back just the, just the... That's the very special thing that Donald Trump has, which is talking about himself. <laughs> Thank you very much. How are you? It's a sad day. It's a very sad day uh, for a lot of reasons. And uh, we just added to that reason last week. It should have never been allowed to happen, I have to say. And I've watched all the speeches and nobody mentions it, uh, what they did. But uh, we'd have to live with that for a period of time. Very disappointing, but incredible job you do. You do. I, I grew up with you, and you are New York's finest. You're incredible people. I know many of you, and I just uh, I appreciated during the election. Uh, you know, the New York City police endorsed Trump. 
You know that, right? First time they've ever endorsed a candidate. They told me. First time. Maybe they do it every time. I don't know. But they told me. First time they've ever endorsed a candidate for president. And uh, it's a great honor. He couldn't even make it one minute. He couldn't even make it one minute talking about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't have enough to say about something that wasn't having to do with him. He he launched into it even before the 42nd mark when he said, I know many of you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that have to do with anything that's happening here? Also, just the unbelievable idiocy of no one mentions it, what they did. Are you fucking high, you moron? No one mentions what happened on 9-11? Then what's all of this never forget talk if no one's mentioning what they did? And that we're going to have to live with it for a period of time. It, it is, it is one, it really makes me think, ugh. I'm so glad we're past that. Well. But also, (laughs) it's what we're going to be facing here come the 2024 election because it's looking pretty rock solid that he's going to run. Not not great. Well, for now, it's looking like that. And uh, I don't know if you saw him appear to do his commentator job at the boxing match. Oh, that was also on 9-11. He also gave a speech to uh, a cult of some culty South Korean unification church, the moons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't seem like he's doing super great. No. And, uh, he's also, can I get petty? Can, can I get petty? Um, he's also fattening up. And we're getting, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and he's a butterball, a little bit more of a butterball, or he's just having his suits tailored a little trimmer. You know, there's a lot of people that... <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Speaking as someone with a few pounds to lose, Donald Trump is in the fat guy club. Well, I'm, yeah, there's there's a lot of talk that happens on Twitter whenever these kind of criticisms are made. And uh, it seems like a lot of people think the body talk, as it were, <laughs> um, is not necessary when it comes to the criticisms for presidents. Well, keep Trump. it to yourselves, people who don't like body talk. One fat guy can make fun of another fat guy. Fuck straight off. How about that? Okay. So, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. But, again, this is the person who um, is the hero, still, of the Republican Party. And that's that's alarming, is it not? Well, again, you listen to this clip of him talking on 9-11. Again, he can't make it 40 seconds without making it about himself. It's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. There's all kinds of things that you can say. Yeah. And he can't even get to a minute. I mean, that's remarkable. And he's in a room full of first responders. It should be the easiest thing in the world to heap praise on 9-11, on New York for first responders right, on, and the, that's, on the anniversary of 9-11. And people think he's so good at, like, buttering people up and, like, being a smooth talker. Obviously not. Yeah. Like, he couldn't even work this room for a minute. Yeah. I mean, listen... What we're talking about right now is on the lighter side of things, on the more innocuous side of things. But Bob Woodward has a book coming out, another book called Peril, 
that is now, I mean, listen, you think that you've seen everything about what took place during the Donald Trump administration. You think that, that all of the scandal has been revealed, and that's just not the case. In fact, the book is now revealing, we're going to play two clips here from CNN. The book is now revealing just how freaked out people at the highest echelons of power, even in the Pentagon, were about Donald Trump's state in those final weeks. Dramatic breaking news. The peril of Trump. America's top general, just two days after the January 6th Capitol insurrection, so worried about the then president's angry and erratic behavior, he called a secret meeting with top deputies, including the chain of command for the country's nuclear arsenal. General Mark Milley's message at that meeting, no one was to act on any orders for military strikes, even from the president, unless Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, was personally involved in the sign-off as called for by Pentagon protocols. Details of that extraordinary top-secret Pentagon meeting among the many startling new revelations about the final days of the Trump presidency in peril. The brand-new book by the legendary Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward and his colleague at the Post, Robert Costa. Our CNN special correspondent, Jamie Gangel, obtained an early copy of this book, and she is with us now. Wow. John, Woodward and Costa, as you say, report that uh, General Mark Milley took top-secret action to limit President Trump's ability to make a military strike or to use nuclear weapons. Let me just stay, set the stage from the book. According to Woodward and Costa, on January 8th, Milley is deeply shaken from the assault on the Capitol on the 6th. He believes Trump, to your point, is unstable, unpredictable, and Woodward and Costa write, Milley believes that Trump is in serious mental decline. He also has been talking back channel to the Chinese. He is aware from intelligence that the Chinese are on edge because of January 6th and because of Trump's behavior. So he's trying to reassure them behind the scenes. And Milley tells his senior staff, quote, you never know what a president's trigger point is. Against this backdrop, same day, January 8th, Milley gets a call from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. We've heard about this call, but Woodward and Costa got an exclusive transcript of the call. Pelosi has the same concerns that Milley does. The phone call is dramatic. It is blunt. And Pelosi wants Milley to reassure her that the nuclear weapons are safe. And this is the exchange. Pelosi Who knows what he might do? He's crazy. You know he's crazy. He's been crazy for a long time. So don't say you don't know what his state of mind is. He's crazy. And what he did yesterday, meaning actually two days ago, January 6th, is further evidence of his craziness. General Milley says, Madam Speaker, I agree with you on everything. Uh, Milley reassures Pelosi on the call. But when he gets off, he thinks to himself, She's right. And he decides to take this extraordinary action. So, so he has this call with the speaker in right. which she is agitated and essentially reinforces his concerns. Correct. He's seeing this intelligence and actually having a back channel. That's extraordinary. Back channel with his counterpart in China saying, calm down. Everything will be OK. And he decides to call this extraordinary meeting. Take us inside. Right. And, and by the way, according to Woodward and Costa, Milley never tells the president about these back channel calls. So he calls an extraordinary meeting of the National Military Command Center, the Pentagon War Room. 
He brings the generals in and the officials, according to Woodward and Costa. Just remember, he is not technically in the chain of command. He is an advisor to the president. Uh, and he tells the generals and the officials who run the war room, no matter who calls you, you, you got to let me know. Here's what he says. Quote, if you get calls, no matter who they're from, there's a process here. There's a procedure. No matter what you're to told, you do the procedure, you do the process. And I'm part of the process. Um, look, Milley may be criticized by some for overstepping his, his authority. But according to Woodward and Costa, he felt that he couldn't trust Trump and that we were in such a dangerous time of risk that he had to take all necessary precautions. He actually had an expression for it. He called it uh, the absolute darkest moment of theoretical possibility, what Trump might do. And so General Milley knows at this point his relationship with the president over that demonstration across the White House was a little toxic. It was bold. So perhaps he's worried about the relationship. But he also has other evidence. They write in the book about this secret memo that General Milley found out without his knowledge, the president was trying to very quickly pull troops out of Afghanistan before he left office. Right. Milley had proof that President Trump could go rogue. He had done it once before. A week after uh, Trump loses the election on November 11th, this memo, a military directive, shows up unexpectedly at the Pentagon. It is a secretly drafted and signed by the president, memo saying you're to get out of Afghanistan by January 15th before Trump's presidency is over. There's just one problem. No one on the national security team, no one at the Pentagon knew that this had been drafted uh, and signed. It had been done by two Trump loyalists at the White House. They had done an end run around the national security team. They were completely blindsided. So Milley decides he's going to go over a no notice, a surprise visit to the White House. And he confronts National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, who says, I don't know anything about this either. And Milley says to him, quote, what do you mean you have no idea? You're the National Security Advisor to the president. And the Secretary of Defense didn't know about this. And the chief of staff to the secretary of defense didn't know about this. The chairman didn't know. How the hell does this happen? Uh, in the end, O'Brien convinces Trump to nullify the memo. As we all know, he didn't pull out the troops. But it shows two things. It shows that Trump was willing to do an end run on his national security and military advisors. It also shows for all the criticism now that Trump and some of his allies are making about Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan, he had just signed an order to get out very, very quickly. Oh, there was no talk of my favorite part of all this reporting. That might be in clip two. What, what is that? Donald Trump telling... Oh, Mike no, that's clip two. I'm not. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's clip too. <laughs> he was he was withholding his friendship. From yeah, people. that's a real bummer. Yeah. Listen, this is one. This gives me pause relative to what kind of 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 protocols are in place 
for a rogue individual, even if that individual is the president of the United States, that they were going to withdraw troops drafting this memo on a moment's notice without telling the National Security Advisor, without telling the Secretary of Defense, even the Joint Chief had no idea what was going on here. Who are these unnamed uh, aides of Donald Trump? Who are they? Is it the author of the anonymous New York Times op-ed? No, that guy's already out. <laughs> uh, this is scary. This is scary stuff. It's very scary. Um, I, I'm wondering what the deal is with Bob Woodward. I mean, how many more books is he going to write? Yeah, right? How long is he going to stretch this out? Why isn't he just creating one super book? Yeah, like a like a Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> volumes. Let's let's go. Let's get all the information out. You know, the other the other very alarming thing about this to me is that when when Nancy Pelosi calls General Mark Milley, it is not for the cameras. It's not for publicity. It's not for some political machination. This was serious, seeming to me legitimate fear of we need to protect because he is off his rocker. He is nutty as fuck. We need to take care of America for fear that nuclear missiles might be launched or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you've got China with a vast and powerful military and they're a little ed edgy, it puts the, the security of the of the global um, system mm -hmm. completely out of balance because Donald Trump is unstable. And the unfortunate thing is that the people who aren't aware of this don't care. Oh, and well, he tells it like it is. He went to Washington to th shake things up. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to listen to this. They're not going. They're going to think. Donald Trump, baby. They're going to think it's it's fake. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or that it doesn't matter. Or good for him. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, no, you don't think this guy I thinks good for him? Donald Trump, baby. No. That guy who'll never fly on Delta again. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> because I'm, I, I keep coming back to like everything that's happening with the pandemic and everyone who's refusing to get vaccinated, refusing to wear a mask, just refusing to do the basic things that are going to keep everybody safe. And it's getting really frustrating trying to navigate, like again, how to convince people yeah. of reality. Well. You can't convince people who just want to burn every fucking thing down. And that is their outlook. Mm -hmm. It's the Steve Bannon philosophy on living life. It's burn it all to the ground. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Which seems to be their political outlook until something happens to them. Right? Like uh, my, <laughs> my connection to the um, insurrectionist on mm. January 6th. Um, who has agreed to cooperate and is facing a felony conviction um, has yet to be sentenced, but I believe he I believe he was convicted. I don't remember anyone. Well, he's he's uh, he's in the in process of signing a plea deal, so which would get him a lesser sentence, right? But it, there seems to be kind of an awakening for some of these people that are being forced to have that moment of 
consequence with with what they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's similar to the pandemic where you don't see people admit that they made a mistake until they're on their deathbed. Right, with a tube down their throat. Right, and then they start saying, can I have the vaccine? No, it's too late. Oh, no, I better tell everyone that I made a mistake. And still people aren't listening. Yeah. So it's just, it's strange trying to navigate this territory where it seems nearly impossible to get through to people without them having be personally impacted by the thing. For sure. So the other half of this clip is the part that Brittany is dying to hear because it is hilarious and sad, but it's also, it illustrates how feverishly Donald Trump was attempting to sabotage the country, overthrow the election, using his own vice president to do so. And the quote that we're talking about here really is, for me, it illustrates just what kind of a sycophant uh, ass-kisser Mike Pence was that Donald Trump thought this was going to be the nail in the coffin. Well, it's interesting that you blame Mike Pence for this, because I think it says a lot about Donald Trump that he thinks the terrifying threat of withholding his friendship is just going to torment someone to the point where they will not... Allow that to happen. That's one outlook, but it also could be that he knows uh, how fondly and worshipfully uh, Mike Pence looks at him when they're in a room together. He knows that when Donald Trump sets his water bottle down on the ground, Mike Pence immediately sets his on the ground, too. Oh, my God. He knows that he's just a a robot-like, obsequious little servile mutt. Mm -hmm. Anyway... Listen to the rest of this, and this is after the election and Donald Trump's full court press to try to overturn the election results. And there's other new details. Again, we know about the dysfunction in the White House at that time, especially the tension between the president and his then vice president, Mike Pence. Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence to jump in front of the train. Uh, And we've heard about this before, but they have new details about this January 5th meeting, the day before Mike Pence has to preside over the Senate and essentially accept the results of the Electoral College, which is to accept... Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. The president and the vice president, they take us inside that meeting, too. So these are direct quotes of Trump and Pence. It's the evening of January 5th, and they can hear the MAGA supporters outside on Pennsylvania Avenue cheering, um, blowhorns. And Donald Trump is twisting Mike Pence's arm, and he gestures toward the MAGA supporters outside that they could hear And he says to Pence, if these people said you had the power, wouldn't you want to? In other words, overturn the election. Pence says, I wouldn't want one person to have that authority. Then Trump says to Pence, but wouldn't it be almost cool to have that power? Pence, no, I've done everything I could and then some to find a way around this. It's simply not possible. Trump loses it. No, no, no. You don't understand, Mike. You can do this. I don't want to be your friend anymore if you don't do this. Uh, In addition to the dysfunction there, there are also more detailed accounts. Again, we know the former president was trying to find help anywhere he could. And we know this was having a dramatic impact across the Republican Party, not just across the country, but different reactions to the president from leaders within his own party. A hundred percent. So Mitch McConnell Uh, is playing along for a while, but then uh, Woodward and Costa report in the book that privately he wanted to be done 
with uh, with Trump and calls him a Kentucky slogan, an OTTB off the track thoroughbred. Obviously, we know Kevin McCarthy was going down and can, to, to Mar-a-Lago and continues to go down. I will tell you, the January 6th Select Committee is going to take a very close look at this book. Steve Bannon is in it. They also, you know, the last book was called Rage. This could be Rage 2.0. There are scene after scene of Trump temper tantrums, lashing out, uh, showdowns. Top advisors describe some of these scenes as something out of Full Metal Jacket or, or Dr. Strangelove. So again, there. sometimes when we talk about Donald Trump, I feel like, why is this, why am I being tortured is the first question. Like, why is and, this still relevant kind of a thing? Yeah, but also, but the main thing is like, why am I still being tortured? Because even, <laughs> I mean, listening to this is honestly, like, I, I have a headache again. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I, it's very difficult to listen to it and deal with it. But the thing is... The other Republicans that are 2024 hopefuls, like Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, Josh Hawley, maybe Mike Pence was asked recently what his plans are for the 2024 election. And he said, I'll keep you posted. Well, I don't want to be his friend if he doesn't run. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But of course, Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, they get very huffy and puffy with the media and they say, we're focused on the midterms. Uh." Yeah, we are. Um, but again, they're not challenging Trump when they go out and they make their little speeches, especially not Ron DeSantis, right? Oh, no. And according to reporting in Politico, Trump is building a turnkey campaign operation for 2024. So he's still going to be on the map. Yeah, yeah. And again, that is scary, not only because of the things that you're hearing in this clip and the ongoing saga of Bob Woodward's encyclopedia reporting, but everything that we just survived getting Donald Trump out of office. I mean, imagine what would have happened if he had been reelected as the pandemic continued. What would the deaths be at right now? I mean, that's terrifying to think about. Yeah, not How only, many Americans would be dead from COVID-19? Not only that, but what happens if one of the, the chinks in the armor uh, were to have break, b- broken mm-hmm. and Donald Trump was to somehow have to overturn the, the election results? Mm. What if Mike Pence would have attempted to not certify the election? What mm-hmm. if one of the states, like Georgia, that he was... Um, feverishly calling and being aggressive about trying to overturn the elections and get the specific number of votes that he needed. What if that had happened? I mean, there are a lot of things that we need to be, this is the reason we're still talking about this is come 2024, we all need to have our heads on a swivel to organize harder than we've ever organized before. Because unfortunately in America right now, we're in a situation where the win has to be overwhelming in order to win, it, because you can't trust that Republicans aren't going to do anything in their power, illegal, immoral, unethical or not, to stay in power. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you have Democrats like Joe Manchin. Uh, that's another one. Who are standing in the way of progress that could really make a difference and that could be the turning point yeah. in this next election not being so 
terrifyingly close because people want to vote for Democrats. They see that their lives have been improved by a Democrat being in power and they want that to continue. But then you have Joe Manchin going on uh, on the Sunday shows this weekend. I think he was on with uh, Dana Bash talking about the three point five trillion economic plan that Democrats are working on uh, that's going to have significant federal investments in child care, immigration, climate change programs. And of course, he's pushing back on the number. So let's talk about the op-ed that you wrote. You said you cannot support the $3.5 trillion bill until you get, quote, greater clarity on why that amount is necessary. Most of your colleagues have been trying to give you that clarity over the past uh, couple of weeks since you wrote that. Your party leader, Chuck Schumer, says he's moving, quote, full speed ahead with this package. Will he have your vote? And that's fine. He can. He will not have my vote on 3.5, and Chuck knows that. And we've talked about this. Um, we've already put out $5.4 trillion, and we've tried to help Americans in every way we possibly can. And a lot of the help that we put out there is still there, and it's going to run clear until next year, 2022. What's the urgency? What's the urgency that we have? It's not the same urgency that we have with the American Rescue Plan. We got that out the door quickly. That was about $2 billion, $2 trillion. And on top of that, you know, all the things we've had with the CARES package, everything leading up to that. So we have done an awful lot, and there's still an awful lot of people that need help. But you have 11 million jobs that aren't filled right now. Eight million people are still unemployed. Something's not matching up. Don't you think we ought to hit the pause and find out the vulnerability that we have, Dana, right now? We don't know what happened with this COVID. It's awful coming back the way it is with the vengeance. We don't know about inflation. We know it's running rampant right now. I can tell you in West Virginia, inflation's running rampant. And on top of that, the challenges we're going to have, geopolitical challenges, shouldn't we be prepared? So I want to ask you about a lot of that. But are you saying it's the price tag, it's the timeline, both? It's the urgency. Do we have the urgency to do what, what they're wanting to do in such a quick period of time? But can you, can you be specific? Okay, let's, just, let's talk about the, the dollar sign. Yeah. Do you have a specific number in mind? Here's a number you should be getting to. First of all, I have agreed to get on to the reconciliation because that's the time for us to make financial adjustments mm-hmm. and changes. I thought the 2017 tax tax code and tax law, the way it was changed, was very, very, very unfair, and it was weighted to the heavy, to the wealthy. So what's the number? And the bottom line is what the number would be what, what's going to be competitive in our tax code. I believe that the corporate rate should be at 25, not 21. But what's the overall number for the budget you know, bill? I think that you're going to have to look at it and find out what you're able to do through a reasonable, responsible way. So then how do you know that it's not 3.5? It's going to be at one, one and a half. We don't know where it's going to be. So you think ballpark one, one and a half? It's not going to be at three and a half, I can assure you. But with that, whatever it is, once you have a competitive tax code that you can compete globally, and then you should look at what the need is. What's the urgency and the need that we have? And and again, I want to get to that, but just because this is the the thing that people consume. Do you have a ceiling? My ceiling is this. The need of the American people and for us to basically take in consideration inflation. Mm-hmm. No one's concerning about the debt. You know, our debt as of Friday was twenty eight point seven and a half trillion dollars. And we're not even talking about that. No one's talking. So one, about you're, that. You just said one point five. It sounds like one point five. I'm just saying that basically well, I've looked at numbers. If we have a competitive tax code from a non-competitive, it doesn't help the working person that was done in 2017. That's in the one, one and a half range, okay? If that's where it is, shouldn't you be looking at what does it take now to meet the urgent needs that we have that we haven't already met? Okay, so let's uh, talk about how this would be paid for. The White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, told me on this show Mm -hmm. last week that you are, quote, very persuadable 
on this budget bill because he says it will be paid for. It won't add to the debt. It won't add to inflation. Well, if you're paying for it with inflated numbers from the standpoint, is the tax code. The numbers that they're wanting to pay for it and the tax changes they want to make, is that competitive? Does it keep us competitive or not? I believe there's some changes made that does not keep us competitive. Meaning don't increase the well, I'm, don't increase taxes on I'm, corporations? I'm just no no, I want to increase taxes on corporations. I've spoken to corporations. So what, I want so what wealthy, specifically I are want you the wealthy to play their fair share. But if you're up higher to the point to where you are that can be competitive globally, then it's going to be counterproductive. Everyone's looking at this in a whole complete different way than I think maybe I am or other people or other people are just keeping quiet. The bottom line is do we have the urgency to spend another $3.5 trillion right now. The most urgent thing that we have to do is get the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's gone left unattended for over 30 years, deferred maintenance throughout every part of our nation. That's the one. The president went out and campaigned on that. That's his bill. We worked it in a bipartisan way, got 19 Republicans to vote for it. That's the bill that should go out immediately. A lot of questions. No solutions. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Dana Bash trying her hardest there to really get him to answer a question in a straightforward, direct way. And he was really struggling with that. Yeah. And I wonder why that is. I can't speak to why that is, but I think it's because maybe Joe Manchin doesn't have like a solid moral code that he's going in with. Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of trying to cover his own ass and play the role that he apparently feels that he needs to play. It's interesting you say that because that's my beat on this is that he loves the new role that he has. Mm -hmm. He loves being the power broker, the kingmaker in the Senate. Because he knows they need his vote. Mm -hmm. They need his support. And he can string along and make demands. And Democrats have to bow and scrape to the will of this jackass. This not a moderate Democrat. He is a conservative. He may as well be a Republican. He votes Republican on judicial nominees. He's. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's rambling on about inflation. Inflation has risen, but inflation is not out of control right now. Inflation is just a tick above 5%, which is not great, but it's not alarming. It's not to the point where we should stop spending in a way that is going to, to lift people out of poverty so that they can increase their tax contributions to the economy mm -hmm. so they can buy things so they can provide for their families well and let's talk about what is in the proposal so um extensive financial financial support for lower income americans including universal pre-k for three and four-year-olds enhanced child care subsidies more subsidies to help with low-income americans buying health insurance and more tax credits for the working poor it would also continue to expand the child tax credit that is currently providing most american families with 300 dollars a month per child under six and 200 $150 a month per child ages 6 to 17. So these are things that prevented hunger from increasing yeah. over the past year during the pandemic. These are things that are helping to reduce the rate of people living in poverty. And Joe Manchin is sitting there acting like, well, $3.5 trillion is too much. And so Dana Bash says, okay, well, like what amount wouldn't be too much oh, for I don't these know. things? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
Right, for all of these very important things yeah, yeah, yeah. that would alleviate human suffering, that would make people's lives easier, that would make things better for people and make people understand, hey, some people in the government actually give a shit and want to make a difference in my life. I think I should vote for them. Also, you know, you gotta we gotta look at this from the perspective of like, for instance, the 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 child care credits and all of that. That's not so somebody can just sit at home while their kids being babysat at a babysitter. That's so people can go to work mm-hmm. and have uh, a contributory experience with the United States economy. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a revenue generator. Mm-hmm. Th- th- these aren't just dr- draws on the on the treasury. Some of these things are going to pay for themselves. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, when you talk to experts about these things, they talk about how this is how you build a strong nation. Yes. You have a situation where people are not paying more than 7% of their income for childcare, yes. so they can work. You have universal pre-K programs with two years of formal instruction yes. to help young kids get a strong start with their education from the very beginning. Also, there are long-term ramifications, long-term benefits of pre-k education Mm -hmm. i don't know the statistics offhand but look them up if you're interested there are the 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 differences between levels of incarceration for people who had pre-k uh intervention of education is off the charts it it is a it is a um i don't want to say a precursor but it is a it's a marker that off that a lot of people who go to preschool don't end up in the system later in life there, there are studies in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a state that that uh, has a robust preschool program that's paid for by the government because of this research that I'm talking about that we will put into the show notes because Brittany's looking a little panicked that I'm talking out of my ass and don't have the the stats. We'll find them. Well, you're you're gonna find them. That's right. Okay. So, <laughs> but but no, I I know what you're alluding to. I mean, you're using kind of specific examples, but obviously. Early childhood education has a significant impact and is really beneficial yeah. in several different variables uh, in people's lives. So I, I just, I don't know why this is so difficult for people like Joe Manchin and and Kristen Cinema. She's also another one who's not happy with the three point five trillion dollars. So I don't know what they want. And I don't know what their plan is, because if you want to get reelected and you want to prevent things like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and whatever that is from taking over the nation, then you need to do things that actually help people. That is right. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, We'd love to know what you think. Uh, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. There is where we're going to leave you guys for this episode. We sure do love you. We sure do appreciate you. Thanks for all of your time spent with us. Thanks for all of your support. If you've been on the fence, but you'd like to start contributing to the show, supporting what we do, helping produce our work, go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. That is the place. We love you. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.